0: Welcome back to Pro Running News. Matt Fox and David Lippman speaking all about stepping up to the marathon from middle distances, 800, 1500, 5K, 10K, and stepping up to the marathon. Uh, Why people step up earlier than later, physiology, fueling, pacing, all these topics we'll discuss. David, we've been uh, talking off air about this, and we thought it'd be good to talk about on air. So where can we get started?
1: Yeah, I think hot on the heels of the announcement of what is a stellar field in Boston and a stellar field in London now as well. And the thing that jumped out to me really quickly with the London field was how many debutantes they are and how high profile they are. Um, And that really got me thinking like, why are these people stepping up uh, now and obviously there's a lot of money being paid uh, to by the majors for this sort of thing and to bring the sort of um, marketing around it. Right. Cause um, and then my thinking was around also how well are these people going to do? Because it's pretty hard. Like and I had a bit of a bet with a friend around success rates of some of these people. And I sort of, I, I have no issues betting against a debutante uh, because I know how hard debuting in the marathon is no matter what quality of a runner you are. It's really hard to get the marathon, right. Um, and, you know, average PB is like, I think the fourth or fifth marathon for most people, the number of marathons to get their lifetime PB. So I think all of that's relevant. And then we decided to start talking about it. So um, yeah, I guess the first and most important question, um, and maybe I've alluded to it, maybe I've given the answer already. is like, why are people stepping up so early? And um, I've got some thoughts about it. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think I may a lot of people's decisions might be around money. Uh, probably not all, but at the end of the day, there is a big boom happening right now, whether you're aware of it or not, well, it's actually been going on probably since about, well, one could argue the 80s, but I think even more specifically probably the last six to eight years where these major marathons are having such large increases in their participation rates. So there was a infographic put out. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I actually don't know where it was, but I do believe it. In the New York Marathon had something like 70,000 people enter the event uh, in 2014, or 2015, and now they're having upwards of 500,000 people into the event. And obviously they can only take 50, 52,000, but what that's meant is demand is higher, supply has stayed the same, or maybe it's increased a little bit, but the entry fees have gone through the roof. What that's also meant is sponsors have come on board to these events, which means more income for the event. Uh, many, many sponsors in, in the cases of the majors, which means more money in the door, which means more prize money to pay athletes to turn up, uh sorry appearance fees for athletes to turn up prize money for athletes to win and so i think maybe incentives a big deal because i think marathoners uh at least at the top end they're probably paid better than most middle distance or 5k 10k athletes there are exceptions to that rule um i think there's the mo farahs of the world that were probably paid really well in their heyday um but yeah i think a lot of it comes down to money what else do you think is
1: a factor well he's getting paid for the marathon now he's the headliner for london yeah um So I think you're right in all of that. I think um, also the profile of marathoning has really gone up. If you think about um, who knows a marathon, and maybe this is because of Kachogi, but if you you ask about marathoners' names, they're probably more well-known than some middle distance runners in many households, and I think that's part of it, is there's more profile. Um, If you think about the every runner, they probably relate better to a marathon than they do to track because most people have never been on a track. They don't know what it's like. They have no idea how fast that it is, whereas a lot of people have run even a 10K and they go, oh, geez, the marathon's far. So I think um, that perhaps there's a bit of a, a better, um, yeah, relationship there, and I think the profile is bigger. And I think there's some other stuff as well. I think um, we've probably got a better ability these days for people to um, step back down. I don't think that happened historically. I think once you went to the marathon previously, it's like, all right, is the marathon is where the middle distance runners go to die, and I think that's changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then I think there's a role for some of the technology as well that's, that's playing a real role.
0: I think the technology is probably a very, very good point. In that, these super shoes are obviously, it's it's meaning a few things. It's it's obviously meaning more dolls in that space, but it's also meaning better recovery uh, and all of these things. But yeah, it's it's certainly changed in that, that the marathon is definitely no longer the place where middle distance uh, and five k, ten k people go to uh, go to die. I think now it's actually the more favorable. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because I'm running marathons these days. But uh, I do think that at the end of the day, um, there's probably more money in that arena. I know that at least the uh, at least the appearance fees, I know this for sure because I know people in both Diamond Leagues that are being invited to Diamond Leagues and people that are being invited to Major Marathons, and I have enough stable sites to know that the appearance fees uh, and the prize money for that matter in the Major Marathons is quite significantly better than the Diamond Leagues. So I think- yeah. I think the money is a big, a big factor here, and people that are running fast over fifteen hundred and five k, that might not be quite making a living because maybe they're not quite getting, maybe they don't have a great manager that's not getting them into diamond leagues, or they haven't had the chance to run enough diamond leagues. And at the end of the day, also, if you if you come like fourth at a diamond league, you, you don't you don't win that much money. You only win about, I think it's eight to twelve grand. It might not even be that much in some cases. Yeah. Whereas if you, you won- come
1: fourth or third at a major, like you're you're pocketing tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and there's often more money if you're a local to that, right? So the British runners in London or the American runners in Boston. Um, you don't even have to get top 10. You get top 10 American and it, they pay a bit more. I think yeah. the one counterpoint there is, you know, Diamond League is a circuit. There's many of them. You can win repeated money there. Um, and, of course, so can the best, right? So there's six world marathon majors. You can only race really two to three marathons a year. So, you know, there's more chances perhaps. Whereas, yes, the Diamond League, there's eight of them. Sure, but also the winner from Diamond League One can win all eight of them. Right? Because that's it true. is middle is running so you can recover better. But I do think um, more people are training more in the shoes, and I think that's changing maybe perhaps the profile of the marathon a little bit in terms of who succeeds and maybe the training required to step up to the marathon as well uh, because of the new shoes. and definitely the, you know the recovery between them is is helpful um, or, or the ability to tolerate load is is better. I know that I'm definitely benefiting from that um, because I had if you look at where I'm weak and break down, it's it's all foot ankle, shin. So the shoes are helping me a lot, uh, whereas that may not be the case for somebody else.
0: Yeah. So what uh, what makes the marathon tough? I mean, it's very. I mean, yeah. I, we both have sort of dabbled in middle distance and long distance. I I, I spent five six years uh, competing at a pretty high level in the eight hundred meters, and, and and I actually remember back then vividly telling people that I'll never I'll never even race a half marathon. Um, although I, yeah, I, I'm a bit, I look back in shame at say, saying those things because uh, I'm so interested in the marathon now. But it's it's a very different it's a very different thing to train for. Uh, okay, we're talking now about the two extreme ends, 800 to to marathon, and and I think what m- most of our comparisons here are, are talking about probably 5k, 10k up to the marathon. But even still, I think training for a 5k or a 1500 is is, is it's quite different to training for a marathon. The physiology, the fueling the pacing, even the, even the psychology around racing it and having to focus and be present and not, you know, stay, stay relaxed for such a long time over two hours for every single marathon runner, um, is, is very different to, to being dialed into a race for three minutes and 45 to 40 to 50 seconds.
1: Yeah. It probably speaks to maturity, right? And mature runners generally run marathons like 800 meters. is kind of like you grit your teeth and, you know, and hurt. Um, and yes, you have to have tactics and yes, you have to race smart and pace yourself and all those things, but it's, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, and I think that the the physiology of the marathon is so distinct and so different because you're running it right around that second threshold, right? That anaerobic threshold, LT2, whatever you want to call it. It's somewhere like 96% of that is where the elites run it. And so the, the thing that everyone says is stuff like, You want to get close to the fire, but not get burnt, like all that sort of stuff. And I think that's such a good example is if you go out too hard, you will pay for it in the marathon. It is terrible. And it's like, it's not a monkey jumping on your back. It's a gorilla carrying a fridge who jumps on your back and really slows you down. And I think that challenge with getting that pacing right with the interplay of pacing and fueling, uh, it just makes it such a unique problem. And because you can't run too many of them, it's hard to get right. And I think it's that, benefit that that's the benefit the marathon has or the allure the marathon has to the masses is how do i get it right uh, and even maybe not to the masses maybe to the elites as well it's like getting the marathon right and having a good day is so hard and so yeah. i think maybe that's where it's different whereas because you can argue like why is the half marathon not interesting why do why are we not why don't we have high profile half marathons why do people not care about half marathons and i think this is the big difference is it's easier it's harder to get the marathon right than the half marathon hmm.
0: I think one reason why half marathons not so popular is it's not an Olympic event, but at the same time, yep. you're right. It's sort of an in-between event where it's sort of like, it's almost used as a, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you're definitely correct in saying that, but um, it feels yeah, like, phys- it feels like when a middle
1: distance runner runs a 5k in their like early season, that's what half marathons feel like for everybody else. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So the
0: physiology is, is definitely interesting in that, well, I think one thing that's always fascinated me is that the, the Africans tend to tend to, you know, that the, the physiology around their sort of their you know, genetics and their, their composition can be quite similar in the 1500 guys relating to the, to the marathon. Um, so when we think about Timothy Cheriot and the 1500 um, and then we think about someone like, uh, you know, Kipchoge or some of the top Ethiopians and, and Kenyans, they tend to actually have pretty similar looking physiology from the outside, but obviously the determinants when you think about lactate tolerance and aerobic capacity, anaerobic capacity is quite is quite different. Um, very little anaerobic training required for the marathon, for the 800, 1500 and even five k. Quite a large, significant, um, you know, uh, percentage of anaerobic capacity required to perform at the very top level. Uh, but I think the biggest difference, well, the major difference is is the fueling uh, in yeah. the in the in the fifteen hundred and the, the 800 and the eight hundred and the five k. There's, there's, there's really no fueling. I mean, you, you can't even take fuel in the race. You're not allowed. Uh, well, but in the, mar- they did, in the marathon, was it
1: the five and the 10 K at the world champs, they had uh, a water station. Oh yeah. Didn't you actually maybe, didn't you maybe go wrong. out and grab some water?
0: Actually, I think I'm wrong. I think you are allowed. I just think it's just not, it's it just, just not doesn't preferred. Happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's not
1: necessary. Let's be honest. Um, ironically, you're actually more likely to suffer heat illness in a 5 or 10k than you are in a marathon, and uh and it's less likely to actually take uh take water and and, and use it. But um I think the fueling's an interesting one, and, and people struggle with it. They struggle with, and we talked a little bit about this in our episode on Valencia, talking about um uh Elizabeth uh, Gide um stepping up and and her uh you know, taking bottles, not taking bottles in this. And and I know I've heard uh, Helena Beery talked about saying that she doesn't necessarily like taking fueling and training and that sort of stuff. And I think that's such a key part is it's, it's part of if you think about racing as a skill uh, or as a sport, as a skill, and you start thinking about it, you know, uh, tactical decisions in the 1500, 800 are, um, and when to pass, how to pass, how to pace—that's all the skill of running a fifteen hundred in a marathon. That that stuff exists, but so does fueling. Fueling is a skill that you need to practice and you need to get good at. Whether that's drinking at a high while running at a high pace, whether it's tolerating things from your gut, whether it's what you'll take, how much you'll take—is it going to upset your stomach? What about in the heat? Like all that stuff is stuff you have to get right, and that's why I think sometimes we you know we underestimate how hard the marathon is to get right for a debutant because they just don't know what's going right and what's going wrong with this stuff
0: yeah yeah exactly yeah there's absolutely no well you know you pointed to one example of, of in a really hot 10k that they offered drinks on the back straight which of which some people came out and grabbed i think even in the 5k um but yeah i mean that's that's i'm pretty sure that was water and it was mostly just to cool down although i'm not sure it, it might have been it might have been uh, uh some sort of carbohydrate drink but in the marathon uh, I think half marathon is, is is a distance where you can actually get away with not having fuel in the race, especially if you're at the very front end running 57 minutes um, yeah. or 58, 59 minutes, or in the women's case, 63, 64 at the very front end. I don't know the water record was 62, but um, in the marathon, it's a different story. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure anyone can get away with running the whole race without fueling and running to the best of their ability. So yeah, fueling is a is a huge deal. It's something that I think most people don't fully understand until there are a few marathons in and then they, then they have a, a light bulb moment or a light bulb marathon when they're like, Oh, this is why it's really hard in the last 10 K. Uh, yeah. it's because I've run out of, it's because I've run out of fuel. And uh, of all people, you're the master of this. <laughs> so we can talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. I think, um, I mean, the guidelines suggest, uh, even In a half marathon, you might benefit from say one gel, um, but yeah, it's uh, maybe two, but yeah, 30 to six, I think it's 30 grams is probably enough there, so yeah, it's usually one gel for people. But as you said, you can have that on the start line, you can have that, you know, wherever else, so it's not necessarily, um, that important for an hour, but yeah, as you get beyond two hours, and as you again, as you're getting more towards your anaerobic threshold, you're starting to really burn through carbohydrate stores. Um, so maybe the slower marathoners don't need as much fueling. Like, you know, if, if I asked you to go run, call it, um, let's say three hours, you'd probably be fine without fueling, but that's not, that's because you're not burning through so much carbohydrate. But if you really want to perform in a marathon, you need the carbohydrates there. Um, you know, guidelines will be 60 to 90 grams. I mean, some of the elites have probably taken a little bit more than that, um, depending on their strategies and all those things. This is um, per hour. Yeah, per hour, I'd say. It depends. I mean, look, some of them will take less and don't necessarily need it um, because they're also smaller and uh, more efficient. But uh, I'd say most of them are taking uh, some carbohydrate. Well, I'd say, I know that they're all taking some. It's how much and, and when. And um, yeah, most of them would be taking at least 60 grams an hour, I'd say, uh, perhaps more. I mean, look, we saw with the Breaking 2 project, Kipchoge really started to try and dial things in to take more fuel um, and go from there. So yeah, it's in. Inex- it's inexcusable not to be fueling, not to be practicing it. You need to be doing it. And I think, I know this is the source of some of uh, Eilish McHulgan's, uh problems in the marathon and why she pulled out of London last year uh, was she couldn't quite get this right, as, as I'm told. So um, that's interesting to see. And now she's on the start line for London. So that's really cool.
0: Yeah. So actually, it's now a good time to just go through some examples of people that have been pretty quick over the shorter distances and that have converted up. So you mentioned Eilish. Yeah. She's actually run four minutes and uh point so 400.97 for 1500 so for context that is under the olympic qualifying standard of rio olympics uh, i think also tokyo olympics uh, the new standards are i can't remember exactly what they are but they've shifted but the for, uh, sub 4 minutes in the 1500 is is basically basically going to put you in the top 10 to 15 in the world that year so she's run 4 minutes she's run a 424 mile an 831 3k a 14, 28 5k, which uh is that national record? Must be close. If it's not, um, I think it could be. She's also run 30-19 for 10k. And uh that, she... that is the
1: record. That was her mum's yep. record that she took in the Commonwealth games, I think.
0: Yep, that's right. And she's run now 106, 26 for the half. So her debut will be very interesting to watch. Uh looking at that half marathon time, that uh, would suggest that she's capable of two seventeen um maybe 216 not an absolutely perfect day but uh verse one so yeah that's, by, that's no means, my by no means is that guaranteed <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah interestingly yeah. her pb on the road for 10k is also thirty nineteen. Mm. so she's obviously converting that across pretty well uh, and tolerating the roads pretty well and i mean look 66 26 is is quick for a half oh, so yeah. that's a pretty um sh- she's set up for it right and she's also um She's, yeah, she's got the physiology for it for sure. Um, and I mean, Sifan Hassan is the other one that's is another one that's debuting, another high profile debut, and she's got similar stuff, right? Um, she's way got a faster, three, yeah. way
0: faster over the eight and 15, yeah, yeah, she's a
1: 351, uh, 800, a 1500 meter runner, which is super quick. Um, uh, interestingly, she's got a slow mile there, comparative 412. It's probably just because she hasn't run many of them. Uh, she got a 1422. Uh, five thousand uh 10,000. She she is quick. Uh, mm. she ran uh eighteen point nine k's in one hour. That's an event that's in the Netherlands. I guarantee it, given her background. Yeah. Um, and then she's run a fourteen thirty eight on the roads for the five k, um, and then a 10 k, which is quick, and then a sixty five fifteen half. She she is quick. I mean that um, fifteen hundred
0: time three fifty one. I believe that's in the top uh few of all time. I'm pretty sure yes. for women. Yeah. Yep, it is. Um yeah. so that's it's actually ranked uh no, it's ranked number six. So yep. yeah, the fastest the world record's only one one point five seconds quicker. Uh three fifty. So, so quick. Yeah, so she's one of the fastest fifteen hundred rated runners of all time um she's also 156 uh, 81 for 800 uh, I'm not going to look that up but I I'm, I'm pretty sure it's probably ranked between about 8th and 15th of all time yeah uh, world record being 153 olympics normally being one in about 155 156 so mm-hmm. she's she's really one of the best middle distance runners of all time
1: interestingly um, she yeah. doesn't convert her track to her rotors quite as well, maybe because she hasn't run as many. And I mean, but, but she still has a good half marathon, which is obviously not on the track. Um, that one hour would have been on the track though. Um, so it's all very interesting to see how she goes off of it. Right. Well,
0: most awesome. of the races I've ever seen her run on the track, she's normally doing the last lap in something ridiculous. So that yes. tells me that she's probably just winning the race and not really running as fast as she can.
1: Yeah, that's probably true too. Mm. Uh-huh. so I,
0: I do wonder if she could have run the world record in the 1500 if it was in the right race but I'll, I'll be honest I actually don't know if that 351 was paced or or what or whatever it was but um yeah so point is stepping up to the marathon she's run 65 15 for the half which says 215 is definitely in the ballpark if she gets it right but uh we love that question because uh getting getting the marathon right is a whole whole other beast
1: yeah it's uh it's exactly right it's a real uh just because you step up and just because you've got a good halftime doesn't uh, mean you convert. I mean, a high-profile example from Australia is uh, Brett Robinson who's recently converted really well, and ran you know, obviously the fastest time ever by an Australian man, but for a long time he'd had a 59-minute a 10k uh sorry, 59 and a half marathon that he didn't quite couldn't quite convert i think he'd run 210 um yep. and you know everyone knew he could run much quicker and he subsequently has and probably has more in him uh i think yeah. most people would agree he's probably got a bit more uh to improve in the marathon but it's just hard he was struggling with getting his um sort of some abdominal pain or something like it sounds really strange I, I don't think he knows exactly what's going on and, and how to deal with it but um he started to convert stomach cramps, cool. i think
0: I think yeah. I remember him saying in his podcast, it was some sort of stomach cramps and he was getting them almost every single race in the last 10, 12K.
1: Yeah. And the only thing that's helped him is slowing down. And um, so that's a good example of things that can go wrong. As you step from, you know, I've run a few ultra marathons. As you step from, something like a half marathon to a marathon to an ultra marathon. What, what you start to find is it's not, um, if something goes wrong, it's what, and then how many things go wrong and, and how you navigate them. Right. So do you miss a bottle? Uh, do you get a stitch? Uh, is there a wind is, does it start raining? You know, all these things. So the adversity comes and it's just, how do you navigate that adversity? And I think that's the big difference is that when you're a middle distance runner, it's kind of like, Oh, what was my day. And you know, you're a couple seconds off, but if it's not your day in a marathon, that's a lot, it's, it's a lot different and it's also, you've got to sort of navigate it because you also don't know what happens. Right. Famously, Des Linden won Boston after having stopped, I think with Kara Goucher for Kara to go to the toilet um, because it was such a bad day. And she sort of, um, she won it from there. So, I mean, that's because everyone yeah, else dropped out. I think. Yeah, exactly. No, but no, no. I mean, to some extent, yeah. yeah, she did. But to some extent, that's true. But I guess, the point I'm making is, just because something's not going your way in the marathon doesn't mean that can't you can't come good and other stuff doesn't go wrong for other people. Which is the, oh yeah, the, the beauty and the the ugliness of the of the marathon, which is you know why I think it's hard when you start out because you're so used to things going pretty well for you, or if it doesn't go well, you know it's not your day, and so you step off or something like that. So I think that's part of what's con- what makes converting so hard.
0: Yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed an interview by Sinead Diver, who broke the Australian national record in Valencia, two twenty-one, I think it was. Yeah. Um, she she spoke. I actually don't remember what podcast it was, but she spoke about. Uh, she nailed it. She said um, she she thought she could run two twenty-one for a few years now, but she just hadn't had the she just hadn't had the stars aligned. And she yeah. said that when something goes wrong in a marathon, it's just like this exponential loss. Yeah. And I can't agree I can't agree with that more so you sort of just started to talk about that in the 5K and the 1500 and the and, and the 800 if something goes wrong in the second half of the race there's only so many minutes to go until you're done so in the 5k for example if, if you uh, well you know let, let's let's say you get a little bit of a stitch or or your shoelace comes undone or or, or something or, or you just start to feel terrible at the 4K mark you've only got a few minutes left and so there's only really so much time you can lose. But at the 30k mark, if you if you if you have a shoelace come undone or or there's a massive headwind or you have a stitch or your stomach explodes, which is what many people experience when they take a gel too quickly or they take too many carbs in at once or they haven't trained their gut properly, there's 12k to go, which is for most people So far. It's so it's so long. It's it's forty it's forty two to sixty minutes. So and well, if you blow it really badly, it's even more. But yeah. And and once your brain decides that you're done, you, you, you're really done in the marathon. Yeah. You're really Oh yeah. done. <laughs> it's it's really tough. Um, you know, like you have every single step. You think should
1: I stop or not? Yeah, and, and it's that's just that's, that's the slog. worst place to be. Yeah, it's really it's such a slog. And and I think that we've you know, been there. Yeah, I think we have that. That twelve k's is roughly half the marathon. Um, in terms of. Uh, effort and you know those who pace it well and who talk about it will always say that is like you know race starts at 30ks or whatever mm-hmm. um so that's what you know when things go wrong it, it is exponential and that's because of heat and all sorts of things as well so i think she nailed it um yeah she nailed it there that's- she's on the london start line as well uh she is Oh wow, running london so she'll uh i'm excited to see how she goes there london have a big budget it seems this uh, year they must do i mean look that had to come out interestingly it looks like London, probably, yeah, without wanting to throw any shade to anybody, and I mean no disrespect to anybody here, it looks like Boston perhaps spent a bit more money um, to try and get some men and and London perhaps stole some women from them, Um, and that's kind of relative strengths. I think they're both strong fields, men and women, don't get me wrong, but what I'm saying is in terms of big names that jumped out the page at me, a few more jumped out at me from... Uh, the men's field in Boston and the women's field in uh, London. And that's some of that's to do with with who I support and who I uh, care about in terms of um, their stories. So so we will, um, you know, don't at me, but that's the sort of thoughts I had around no, that. No, no, I had the same thoughts. Dominic Scott from Russia was also there.
0: Uh, sorry, uh, from South Africa, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah so... Sorry, I just got thrown off by the RSA, obviously yeah, yeah. South Africa. So Dom's from Boulder, I, I've, I've met her. Um, yeah. So 407, 1500. Uh she's run a mile in 426, a 5k in 1459, 31 flat for the 10k, 6732, which was I remember her running that. I remember being a bit surprised by that. 6732. So yeah. Yeah, she's I converted she... from the five and ten up to the half pretty well. So might have a good day.
1: Yeah, I thought she'd already run a marathon for some reason or at least started one, but I might be wrong. But no, that's exciting for her. Come down from Boulder from altitude, come into to London and run there. I think she'll she'll go well. It's exciting to see for her. Um I guess last question I have for you, I, I'm no good at this because my my history is not so good with it, but who are the best debuts, best debut marathons ever? I mean, obviously we spoke about uh, Let's Beth Gide uh, with one of the fastest ever debuts recently. Uh, and I think Kelvin Kiptum as well, both in Valencia. Oh, yeah. um, but who else? Mm, I'm trying to think
0: of fast debuts. Uh, I can think of a, um, a couple from Australia that were about 10 years ago where um... – I remember one, one oh, geez, I'm mind-blanking his name now, but some people listening would know he ran 211 flat. This is well before Super Shoes. Not Derek uh, Clayton? On, no, not Derek Clayton. Um, I'm actually picturing his face. I'm really, really uh, disappointed that I can't think of him, but he actually never ran quicker after that. He ran 211 flat. But uh, I do remember him doing an interview afterwards, and I remember him saying that he actually didn't pay attention to the time much at all, and he was just racing in a pack, which I found interesting.
1: Is it Sean Crichton?
0: No, no, no. It was... Yeah, no, you're good. Sean Crichton, I think, was was a little bit before that, but um, I'm trying to think of others. So Kelvin is the fastest one of recent, you know, recent times. Two hundred one fifty-two, I think it was at Valencia, um, and yeah, there's there's been quite. a – I mean, the, 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 this is the thing about running that's a bit difficult to follow, in that a lot of people have run really fast debuts from Ethiopia and Kenya, and we don't really know them. Um, yeah, you know, they're people that pop out of the woodwork and just run run really quick but in the in the western uh, countries USA Australia um these countries as you pointed out earlier people don't tend to run their fastest until marathons sort of 4 to 6 uh i can't actually think of too many people that have come out and run really quick debuts um they normally take a few to get it right and uh yeah it doesn't seem to be the case so much in kenya and ethiopia but then again what you have to understand about those countries is oftentimes they only run one and they run really fast and then they've won enough money to, for the rest of their life. So that they, so they quit.
1: That happens quite a lot as well. Yeah. It's actually very, very common in Kenya and Ethiopia. Just looking at a runner's tribe article here on this and it's, it's old information. So it's obviously still not relevant, but uh, some names people would know Paula Radcliffe debuted in two eighteen fifty five. 55. Wow. That's
0: really fast. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's also pre super shoes. So that's, that's worth a two sixteen now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, who else? Yeah, Gladys Cherono, 220.03 in 2015. De DeBaba, 220.35 in 2014 in London. Um, Amane Bariso, 2016 Dubai was 220.48. Uh, who else would people know? Jordan Hesse, 223 in Boston in 2017. She's really, really quick. Really good. Um, yeah. To run well on that course, geez, that's. That's flying. Uh, we're at Kipchoge here was 205.30 in Hamburg in 2013. Bikili was 205.04 in Paris 2014. Solid. Um, Kometo, Dennis Kometo was Berlin 2012, was 204.16. Uh, so there's some, some pretty good ones people would recognize there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. So I think the name of the guy
0: I was thinking of was Jeff Hunt 211. Yeah, that's he right. ran it in, yeah. uh, in, Be- in Beppu in 2010. I remember that being really surprising because he he ran 62.44 before that, which, you know, that probably indicate he's capable of around 2.10, 2.11. But, you know, I spoke to some people around that time that were pretty experienced in the marathon, namely um, Michael Shelley, who went on to win the Commonwealth Games. He's a friend of mine and I've run with him quite a bit on the Gold Coast. Um, and, you know, Shelley was a pretty, pretty big, I think Shelley's uh, best time when he retired was 2.11 low and he he was pretty adamant about the fact that it takes you five or six marathons to run really well. And I remember that surprising him, that Jeff Hunt ran two eleven flat in his first one because he actually never ran quicker. So, um, but yeah, I do really clearly remember Jeff Hunt talking about that and saying that he actually didn't really know what time he was on for. He was just, he had a stopwatch and he just ran and raced. And I mean, he was in Japan at Bepu, which there's huge packs of guys running around that time. And I think that's, uh, yeah, we're, we're eventually going to do an episode all about psychology of racing and how I've got so many good examples of people that just get into a race and have no idea what time they're running and then they run really quick cause they just race it. But I know that's uh that, that was the case with Jeff. So yeah.
1: yeah, Worthwhile reading uh, Endure by Alice Hutchinson or uh, How Bad Do You yes. Want It by Matt Fitzgerald. Both very good books in the, in the sort of area. Good, good reading. Uh, nice. And if you're interested in running, if you're interested in this podcast, you'll enjoy those books for sure. Uh, not super technical. But uh, no, that brings us to the end of another episode. Uh, hoping that the London and Boston races go really well. Uh, hoping you enjoy them all. You get to watch them. Hope they've got good coverage with good commentary, as we've sort of alluded to before. But please keep uh, keep liking our Instagram. Well, keep following us on social media. Keep following the podcast on your podcast players. Review us, if please. Uh, share us and uh, send us any questions you have or topics you'd like us to cover. We've got a couple of listeners questions coming up. Uh, so please, uh, please do. Uh, if you have sent us a question, we will cover it. It's just we record these in different times with our time zones and stuff like that. So just doing our best to keep up with current news as well as uh, listener questions and other things that come across our desks. So anyway, until next time, thank you very much. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening.